Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us whenever you're watching this. Everybody, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going to look uh, today at the post, some post-resurrection uh, experiences, or appearances, I should say. And if you remember, uh, two weeks ago, we, we met last Tuesday. We didn't meet. It was Valentine's Day or that night, and so we, we, we missed that Tuesday. But remember where we left off. The women have come to the tomb. And the tomb, uh, they have found empty. And so what do they do once they see this empty tomb? They, and by the way, they were coming and bringing spices. They were not coming there with any expectation that Jesus, they're not going there saying, oh, I can't wait to see him resurrected. None of them believed that. None of them thought Jesus was going to rise from the dead. So then they find the tomb empty. So what do they do? They go back to the disciples. And they tell the disciples And remember that in that day, that a woman's testimony was what? It's worthless. It's untrustworthy. Which, remember, that's one of your defenses for in the Gospels. Why would you write these Gospels? And all four Gospel writers state that the women were the first eyewitnesses and the first evangelists. And each Gospel was written in a different part of the Mediterranean. Why, If you're ever going to try to fake a whole new religious movement, why would you put that at that time? You would never do that. You just wouldn't. So that's why you know it's true. And so they go back and they go tell the disciples, you know, basically the tomb's empty. They're not saying there's resurrection here. So remember, two of the disciples decide that it's worth checking out. But the rest of them don't even bother. Who are the two disciples again? It's Peter and John. Okay. Now, Peter takes off running very fast. Remember that one? He takes off very quick and he's gone. And John takes off after him and they're running. Which is interesting too because um, we know that most men in that day, they would not run in public. That's why in the prodigal son story, when the father runs to the son, that's just a weird thing. That You just don't do that. But it's showing the heart of the father running to us in the prodigal son story. So they run there, and as Peter's running faster than John, remember, either John is faster than Peter and catches him and moves forward, or Peter's slowing down. And if he's slowing down, there's probably good reason why he's slowing down, right? Because the last time he saw Jesus, what did he do? He denied him. And if you remember one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus turned and he looks at him and they catch eyes with each other. And so Peter, it says he runs out and he wept bitterly. I mean, it was a bad cry that night. And so maybe Peter is just, uh, he's feeling like, oh my gosh, he's excited that the tomb is empty, what's going on here? But maybe he's slowing down thinking, oh my gosh, what if he is alive? What if he is, what if this, what if this? And he, last time I did this. So he slows down. And so they get there. Peter and John get there, they go in, and if you remember the terminologies for last week, they, they examine, they look at everything, they see the, the strips of cloth there. The body part is in full, it's in full structure, like he just left the body. The head wrapping is wrapped up in a corner and thrown in the place there. They analyze and they leave. Now, they've run there. Now, Mary's coming back, and Mary is not running there. So they've got there, they've been there, they've analyzed. So you've got to look think of it like this. Now they've either, they're either leaving and Mary passes them as she's getting there or they've already left and finally Mary walking back to the tomb, she gets there. 
And she gets there and she doesn't leave. She stays there. And because she stays there, she is going to be, uh, she's going to experience something that, um, the other, that the two disciples did not get to experience. And what's interesting about this in the chapter, and I never thought about it until I studied it this time, and I'm always like three weeks ahead with putting these things together, but what's interesting is you have Jane, uh, Peter and John, they get there and leave, and they're not going to experience what Mary's going to experience. Later on in the chapter, you also have another guy, Thomas, who's not there at the church meeting, and he misses out on the great experience too. So in this chapter, you have two different, you have, you, you have, you have Thomas and you have Peter and John. They don't hang out long enough to be able to catch what's happening and to experience a post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here we go. We're going to start in John 20 and verse 10 and 11 says this. It says, um, <clears throat> so the disciples went away again to their own homes. So they go back. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Now, bullet point in your notes, if you're taking notes, they're always there on the table as you come in. First thing is the disciples leave, Mary stays and is rewarded. So the fill-in is rewarded. She gets rewarded for for that. So remember, uh, they left, she stays, and because she stays and she hung around there, um, she's going to experience something Uh, that they're not going to get to experience. And we know that she's going to see angels and we know she's going to have an encounter with Jesus, correct? Now, let me just give you an application um, for that because I think it's a real important thing. Uh, I'm assuming all of you people that come to Bible study, you you pretty much are regular Bible readers. I'm assuming that, right? Please say yes. Yes. I feel better about my life when you say that, okay? Um, So let's, okay. You, You ever just read and you don't get anything out of it? Okay, you can get something out of it almost every time, guarantee. But what you've got to do is you've got to, I'll take her application. She stays longer, they leave. Because she stays longer, she experiences, she sees the angels, and she's going to experience Jesus. She stays longer. Now, there's this interesting um, event in Elijah's life in the Old Testament where after he slays the prophets of Baal, and he's up on Mount Carmel, and he says, tells Ahab, you better get going, man. It's going to rain. Now it's going to rain after three and a half years. And so um, what happens is he t- Elijah then kneels down and he prays and he tells his servant, he says, go look out towards the sea. Tell me what you see. He goes out and says, come, I see nothing. He says, go again. Come, I, nothing. He does it six times. There's, he sees nothing. And Elijah says, go back again. Seventh time he goes out there and he comes back and goes, huh. This looks like a man's hand coming up out of the water, you know, and, and he's telling Elijah all these things, and he says, yeah, and here comes the rain now, and after three and a half years, it starts raining. It's a great, great example or application, and it goes like this, that when you read the scriptures, if you read it once, you go, oh, maybe I got some, maybe I didn't. But you read that same little section over again, and 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 pretty soon, have you ever known it just starts to pop? I mean, it just pops, man. And it just starts to explode. And even though you might have read that section in a devotional reading every year, but this time, because you read it over and over and over again, it just starts to explode, starts to pop, and man, there's things that you're gleaning out of that scriptures that you never saw before. Isn't that an amazing thing that happens like that? 
Let me tell you that God allowed me to use just that part right there even when I went to college in an English literature class. We would be reading, how many ever took English lit in college? You'd read poems and short stories and stuff. And I remember we'd be in there, and I'm not a poetry guy, trust me. Look at, do I look like a poetry guy? I'm just not. But I got into it because I had to that semester. But I used the application of read it over again and over again and over again and over again. And man, those poems would just start popping and try the Holy Spirit. Wasn't, wasn't so much me. And I remember I would say things that I'd glean out of there. I'd go, where did that come from? And the teacher would be like shocked that I could see those things. But she, she didn't, you know, she didn't know I had the Holy Spirit in her. I had an advantage, you know. <laughs> but it just read it over and over and over again. But it just starts to begin to explode in your spirit. And I encourage you to do that. Don't just read it once and think, well, I got done reading that. No, read a section again and again and again and let it start to pop in your mind. She stays, and because she stays longer, she's going to be rewarded. Now let's read on and see how it unfolds. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now, bullet point, second one in your notes. Uh, the, just the new mercy seat. This is a new mercy seat. <clears throat> it's a new mercy seat. Now, let me explain that. Um, and by the way, can I give you a little tidbit? Because <laughs> I like them. <laughs> um, the, uh, the disciples come, J- Peter and John come. They look in there and they leave. They look in and because they left right away. Uh, they miss out on something. Here comes Mary. She comes and she stays longer. And Mary... Because she stays longer, she sees two angels. Because they left quick, all they saw was dirty laundry. Is that cool or what? (laughs) Am I right? It's just a little dumb thought. Is that okay to have a dumb thought like that? Good, because you got it anyway. Okay. Okay, so it's the new mercy seat. What do I mean by that? She comes in. She looks in there. And how many angels does she see? Two. Remember that other gospels say one. We've explained why they would say one and one would say two. And I, I don't have time to go back into that. But um, so um, she says she sees one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus was laying, right? Yes. Okay. There's a slab there carved out of rock. Where his body was, more than likely, there's some blood stain there, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Let's assume that. There's an angel sitting here, an angel sitting here. That's what she's looking at. What does that look like? The Ark of the Covenant. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And there's the blood stain right there where the priest would come in, remember, on the regular ark, and he'd sprinkle the animal blood there on the mercy seat. It's called the mercy seat, the little lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 John 2, 2, it says that Jesus is our propitiation. He's a satisfaction. And so when she sees that, it's the new mercy seat, the new Ark of the Covenant. But this time it was the blood of the sinless sacrifice the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that a cool thing? That she gets to see something like that? Oh, I think it's just such a cool thing like that. Now, let's move on. Verse um, 13. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So the angels ask her, What are you crying about? Now, why would they ask her that? Well, they ask her that. I'm going to guess here. Because it's not a time for weeping, is it? It's a time of rejoicing. Has Jesus risen from the dead? He's conquered death. Yeah, so you don't need to cry. But what's her answer when they say, why are you crying? 
She says, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Now, does it sound like she believes and expected a resurrection? There's no way. What does she think happened? Tomb robbers. Yeah, somebody stole the body away. So nobody is expecting, remember, nobody expected no body in the tomb, okay? Nobody expected that. So get over that, that the disciples believed. They didn't believe anything yet, okay? Verse 14, which gives me hope for myself. Verse 14. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now, she turns around and she sees Jesus there and she doesn't know it's him. How in the world does she not know it's him? She'd been walking with this guy. She was part of the ministry with him. How does she not know him? Can I throw some guesses? Because that's all I got. Okay, maybe Jesus at this point didn't really allow her to know who he was. Or maybe her, she's crying so badly, her eyes are swelled with tears and it's just kind of blurry. Or maybe it's still so early in the morning between night and morning that it's dark and she just can't make him out. Those are all possibilities, right? But let me tell you the one I think. Maybe she just can't believe that Jesus came back from the dead and that can't be him. Because she didn't come looking for a resurrected Christ. She just came to see, look at the tomb. Now, look at verse 15. Jesus says, now Jesus is going to speak. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Jesus says, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Why are you weeping? And who are you looking for? Who does she think he is? The gardener. Now, why would she think something like that? Let me show you why. Look at John 19.41. Look back at 19.41. It says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, why would there be a, a gardener there? Because it's a what? It's in a garden, that's right. So now you see, she's just doing logical, two plus two equals four. We're in a garden. Maybe, maybe this guy's the gardener. Now, isn't that interesting though, that she would, her first look at Jesus and she thinks he would be like the guy that you and I hired to mow our lawn. Have you ever thought that? No, think about it. I'm not saying it even facetiously. That's really what she's thinking. That Jesus is now here, and he, he looks like the gardener. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's pretty wild. I think it's really down-to-earth kind of stuff there. Now, notice what she says. She, she tells him in that same verse, look, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've taken him, so I go there, and I'm going to carry him back somewhere. Question, can she really carry Jesus back? There's just no, are you kidding me? She, look, there's no Jerusalem fitness. She's not training anywhere, okay? But she's going to go carry him back. Now, that tells you something. That tells you something about love, doesn't it? If you truly love, it doesn't matter how impossible, right? You're going to give it your best shot. You're going to do what you can. Because love is the greatest motivator on this planet. And, and she, she loves him. Now, Here's what a little side, side, sidebar thought. Where does she meet him at? In what? What kind of, what's the setting? In a what? 
In a garden. Oh, in a garden. Okay. So now she's developed. There's relationship happening in the garden with Jesus. Question. What happened in the garden with Adam? That's a relationship was broken. And now Jesus has conquered death. And now relationship is starting with God. You see that right there? Started in the garden, ended like that. Now in a garden, you have it again. I just love, uh, I love correlations like that. So verse 16 says this. Um, Jesus said to her, Mary. You ever wonder how he said, Mary, Mary, Mary. Oh, no, he wouldn't say it like that. <laughs> Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Oh, bullet point. The believer knows and recognizes Jesus' voice. The believer knows and recognizes the voice of Jesus Christ. Now, very quickly, keep your finger here. Go back to John 10, because John laid this out for us earlier when Jesus is speaking. John wrote these things down for us. Look at John chapter 10. When you're there in 10, say, I'm there. Look at verse 4. It says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. See, we follow Jesus because we know his voice. Now, you got to think about this. <clears throat> Jesus isn't here physically, right? He's ascended to heaven. So, but we, as followers of Christ, we have to be able to recognize his voice. Do we not? Yes. Okay, let's rehearse something that's very, very, very important. Um, you've heard me say it so many times. You'll hear me say it hundreds more times. Our... Our mind is Holy Spirit user-friendly, is it not? Yes. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, which he does, he will drop thoughts into our mind, will he not? Yes. And we can hear the voice of God in our head. Yes. You just got to get past yourself thinking that God doesn't drop thoughts in your mind. He does. Now, that's not where it ends. Because it's easy for me to get a thought in my head and think it's God, and it's just me. Anybody know what I mean? So when I get a thought from God that I think it's really God and it's just not going away, uh, and there's a difference between a good thought and a God thought. There's big differences. But the one thing I can always do to try to figure out, is this really God's thought that he's putting in my mind for me to do, or is this a Jim Del Campo thought? And the one thing I can always do is I can go back to the Word of God, can't I? I can always measure my thoughts with something that is already written to find out can I find scriptures and things that would state that it is a right thing for me to do what, God, what I believe that God has prompted me to do? And that's what you always want to find out. And then if you're not sure, ask people that you trust, who understand or know maybe nor the word of God. Ask them, okay, what do you think about this, this, and this? And so they can lay out for you in the scriptures, okay, this, is, yeah, you're right, or no, God would never do that. He would never do, go that way. So, we have that in our arsenal right there. <clears throat> now, when she calls him Rabboni, that's a very interesting thing that she does because um, that's a more informal term. It means more like my teacher. Is So you see this whole relationship pattern beginning right there with him. Now, verse 17. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. It sounds kind of cold, huh? It's not. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren. But go, yeah, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Question: Why does he tell her, "Let go of me"? Because she's holding on to him now. After I got his rope, hold no, no, let go of me. Why? 
He gave, he gave you the answers. First off, he's going to ascend. So he's got to ascend. Secondly, he said, go to the brethren and tell them that I ascend. So first off, you've got to let go because I'm going to ascend. And secondly, I need you to evangelize the future evangelist guys out there that went back home already, okay? I need you to go evangelize them. So, so let go and, and go do that for me. Now, let me give you some application here. First application is, since he's ascending, are things changing? Yes. It's completely changing. Because their relationship now will be with the Holy Spirit, right? It's not going to be with him. So everything's going to change now. So quit clinging to me. But, but the other thing is this, that, you know, as church people, and just even in your businesses, it's, it's everywhere. And even it's in your relationships, it's everywhere. And so let me give you it, and I'll give you the application. She's trying to hold on to him, and he says, quit clinging to me. You need to go do this, and I'm going to send. It's all changing now. Quit clinging to me. But she's holding on to him. But don't you ever see in your own life, and I see my own life, that um, we try to keep Jesus right where we want him? We don't want him changing anything. Don't change that. No, don't change anything in the church. Don't change this. Don't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we, we don't like change. And yet the Holy Spirit at times really motivates us to do some changes, right? I mean, just the fact of change in and of itself, we would not grow if we don't change, correct? But it's just true everywhere. I mean, anyone remember Zodis? Mervins? Hey, calm down in third row, okay? White front? Yes, white front. I, I let me just tell you, I don't like to hear white front because when I was 16, I got caught stealing there and got arrested. So you just, you too? We got a criminal here. No, but although, and I did, I got arrested at 16. I wasn't saved. And you know, 8-track tape's really popular. Um, so, um, uh, I'm surprised you haven't heard that story. But, um, but, but all those places, they, they came and they're gone. And they didn't make the proper changes to move forward with society. Right? Look, in Christian circles, just in my world, that the message never changes. It just doesn't. But the methodology has to change. Because if it doesn't change, you're never going to reach the next generation of people. It is not going to happen, my friends. I mean, just look in our, in our short lifetimes... Um, uh, like all the online stuff, correct? Yes. Now, aren't you thanking God, not for COVID, but when COVID hit, that we had young staff and they knew what to do immediately to put really good programming online for us? Because yes. I sure didn't know what to do. Uh-huh. I had no, you have John Escada on the soundboard tonight. He's one of the guys that knew what to do. These guys knew what to do. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And they did really, really good, didn't they? They did good. You're welcome, John, by the way. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so... So you have to think, you know, you, things are going to change and you've got to be okay with it. Your own job. If you own a business, you know that just in the sense that you have to do some online stuff or promote this, you have to change. And if you say, I'm not changing, well, you die. You just die. Marriages have to progress and change, don't they? Yes. You can't stay the way it was. You, things progress. It moves and changes, and you've got to grow with these things. It's everywhere. So she's trying to hold on to them. I don't want any, I don't want, I want it right now the way it is like this. I don't want anything to change. Now, verse 18. But did I make sense on that one, by the way? Okay. But we still don't like change, right? (laughs) 
Mary Magdalene came announcing, verse 18, to the disciples. So she's come back to the disciples now. She's got the news that Jesus is alive and she's a woman. <laughs> Remember that, okay? And nobody believed, he wrote something. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things, and here's what he told me. So she comes back and she says, Guys, yeah, I've seen Jesus, he's alive. Sure, you have, Mary. Sure. And she goes, No, 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 no. He showed up after you guys left. Oh, after we left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mary's lost it. Now, think of how crazy that, that sounds to them that she comes and tells them. Now, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the, when, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, did this sound like a bunch of guys that would break open a tomb and steal a body? You guys are terrified. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, these bold, gutsy disciples are hiding in fear. Doors locked. I would be with them. I, I, I'd be in there too because you know outside they, they, I'm one of Jesus' followers they're gonna, they killed him they're going to kill me too now, Jesus comes in and says peace be with you right? wrong look at your Bibles what did he say? huh? you forgot something I taught you a long time ago the B B-E is it italicized? What does that mean? It should be italicized. It means it's not a part of the early manuscripts. It's added to give us understanding. Every time you see italicize it. It doesn't hurt the scriptures at all. But I want to give you a firmer idea of what's going on here. He doesn't say peace be with you. Think of just the magnitude of, he's saying peace with you. He appears in the room, guys. And he says peace with you with you because what is he he's the prince of peace he is our peace and so he says peace with you he's here with you now now <clears throat> remember criteria of embarrassment this is a different thought on this one what's the criteria of embarrassment when you're a historian most writers will never put when they're writing things, they will not put embarrassing details about themselves in, the, in their writings. John is giving you some of the most embarrassing details of their lives. We were hiding. We did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead or that he even was going to rise from the dead. That's a criteria of embarrassment. And when you see things like that, if you're a true historian, you know then what's happening there is probably, it's true. It's true. They're not making this stuff up. He appeared in the room right there. And if you have a problem with him, well, you guys don't have any problems with him appearing there. You know he's God in the flesh. He could do whatever he wants to do. Now, bullet point. I think, yeah, bullet point. Um, we're in verse 19. Yeah. We all, we all need a weekly day of rest. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you do. Now, let me, let me try to... Let me try to pull this out of here. Um... So, uh, what day of the week is it in verse 19 that he appears to them? First day of the week. Oh, first day. What day is that, by the way? Sunday. It's Sunday. Thank you. 
Okay, so it's Sunday. What day did he rise from the dead? Sunday. Sunday. No, don't say Friday. <laughs> uh, Wednesday, no. Sunday, Sunday. So that same day then, he rose from the dead Sunday morning. But now it's not dark yet because if it's dark now, it's Monday. So it's late afternoon. So it's the same first. So it's the same day. You follow me so far? Yeah. So it's the same day and Jesus now is beginning to minister, right? Okay, but if you back up the day before, the day before Sunday is their Sabbath, right? Saturday is their Sabbath. It's their rest day. And Jesus' body laid in the tomb, right? Nothing happened in there. We know there's other things, but the body's laying there. But then Friday, back up one more day, Friday is the day he finished his work, did he not? To tell us, it is finished, and he finished the work, right? So he works, finished it, day of rest, then first day of the week, Sunday, starts ministering. Got it? Then you go back to Genesis. Let's correlate that. Okay, for six days of the week, he's working, God's creating like gangbusters, right? And then on the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday, he rests, right? Just like Jesus, Sabbath, his body's resting in the tomb. You follow me? Okay. So there's this kind of rest time that we find in both instances. And then you look all throughout Old Testament, you find some hints of it in New Testament, but you see this idea of Sabbath and Sabbath rest. You follow me? God is very interested in our rest, is he not? Okay. So, he calls us to take a day of the week, and I know it's not like when I was younger when everything was closed on Sunday. This is not the world anymore. Everything's open all the time. It was a different world some of us grew up in. It was a great world. But you've got to find whatever day during the week, whenever, because one man regards one day above another, and stuff, et cetera, et cetera, New Testament, where you rest, where you just have fun, where you just recreate, recreate your life. And, and here's what, look, I, I was the worst at this. I was the worst at it. And I knew what it said, and I, and I was the worst. I, I was, I've been a workaholic all, all my life. I, I, don't, I don't think I am at all anymore. But I was, I really was. And I know my motivation for it. I understood, my, I had to figure out my insecurities and everything like that. I was always, you know, felt like everything's going to fall apart, so I had to keep working, working. And the other side was, I always, I never wanted anybody to think I was lazy or slow, and I keep working, working. But those mindsets drove me, drove me, drove me to the ground. Anybody know what I mean? Yeah. So these are a couple of my insecurities that I used to have to deal with very much in my life. Um, but I finally had to get, get past those things. But the whole within that, I remember in my mind, I thought, I don't need a day of rest. Anybody ever think that? I don't need to rest. Okay. God creates for six days, and he rests on the seventh. Did God need a day of rest? He doesn't get tired. He doesn't go, oh, I'm exhausted. Man. Wow. Creating man on the sixth day took it out of me. Whoa. He didn't do that. He could have kept creating day 10, day 20, day 350. He could have kept going, right? But he takes a day of rest. For, you know, us knuckleheads in the room, that we need to take a day of rest. Now, let, let me, I was, I, I was thinking about this today. I had to get a new phone today, and then they said, go take off for 45 minutes. I go, where am I going to go for 45 minutes? Because my phone was dying. I had it after six years. They said, Dad, it's not worth nothing. And, uh, and so I was, I was in my truck, I was thinking, and um, 
and I started meditating on this idea of rest, and it hit me. You remember on Sunday, I talked about the TV show Alone? Did I, I said, I mentioned, how many watch Alone, by the way? Okay, it's a really cool show. They drop 10 people out in the middle of nowhere, and, play, and they're very good uh, at uh, surviving outdoors, they're survivalists. Um, and as I watch, I'm up to season seven now, because I discovered it in July. My, my, my son Nathan turned me on to it. And there's this event that happens in almost every one of their lives at a certain point because they're by themselves. There's no one else there. And they have to survive. They have to build their own shelters. Winter's coming. It gets so cold. It's insane. It's insane. Wild animals. I mean, one guy killed a mongoose with a knife. He's out there. It's like, oh my, I, never, I can't go out there. And there comes this moment in all of their lives because they're by themselves that they start to get very, very introspective. They start to talk, because they have to interview, they, they have to get the camera on, and they start talking about what matters most. And it's all the same. Their family, the people they love, money doesn't matter, that's not what's most important at all. And every one of them gets there. Some of these grown men start crying like a baby. And I'm watching, I go, don't embarrass me. No, I don't say that. <laughs> but they all get to this point, all of them. And there's, there's ladies out there too. And it's like, and they all come to this point. And, and, and you begin to realize, at least for me, as I thought about that, what, what they're doing is there's a reset going on in their mind. Because you don't have all the distractions around you, like everyday life. You don't have all the hustle and bustle. You don't have all the things you've got to think about out here. You're by yourself out there, all alone, and time just with your thoughts and your feelings. And you start think, you can think again. And I know for me, one of the most important things I do, and I practice it regularly, is I just take time to think. I love to think. It's, I, I've been that way for, for decades and decades. But we don't take enough time. Cause I, I, and I was sitting there, because I was out at that Verizon store McKinley, and I'm thinking about it. I'm sitting in the parking lot, and I'm watching everything. And I'm watching the cars go by on the freeway, and the golf jams here, and I'm thinking, it's a, it's, a, it's a rat race. And we're all the rats in this thing, man. But we got to take time to slow down. Have a day of fun. Take an hour in that day, or whatever you do, and just think. Just meditate. Just be. And, and you, you watch. It, it just refreshes you. See, here's a statement that I learned a long time ago, and I don't mean to spend a long time on this, but it, it's really a topic that really is close to my heart because, ex, like I said, ex-workaholic. Uh, I won't said alcoholic. No, workaholic. <laughs> but I, I read this in a book back in the 80s, and I've never forgot it. It said, it was like this. Uh, too many people are human doings instead of human beings. And when I read that, boy, it was almost like they shot the arrow right at me. Because that's what I was. I'm just a human doing. Just doing, 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 doing. And I don't just be. And I don't just get to enjoy. Can I share one more thing about all that? Okay, so I was thinking, because I thought more, I kept thinking about this stuff. And, and so... I, I, oh babe, I told you this, I think yesterday. Um, but on Sunday after, after church, went home for a while, back then, we were going to go out, but we wanted to, I had to go give, get my truck back for my son Nathan, it was a long story. But 
go in there and, and Nolan, who's like 14 months now, he wakes up and she's bringing him, Lindsay's bringing him down the stairs and Lincoln was already awake. She's like two and a half. And Nolan comes and and she's holding Nolan and Nolan sees me and she's here with him and I'm here and Nolan turns and he wants me. That's like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, how much money you want, Nolan? Just, just tell me, you want a new car? What do you want? But he wants me and he just hugs me. And I told Libby the next day, I go, there's nothing better than that in my life. And I've got to experience a lot of things. I've got to see so many things in my life. But there's nothing better than that. Just that slow down, relax. There's a grandkid. He wants granddaddy. It's just like the greatest thing in the world. And sometimes we just got to stop our lives. Slow it down. Because all of us have, there's things in our life where we can enjoy our life a little bit better. There's things out there. And they just reset us in the right way. And they reset our emotions, our disposition. It resets our thinking. And we need to take time for that. Because I think in those moments is when God can really drop some good stuff in your mind. Some really good stuff. Does that all make sense? Okay, good. Because I'm way off my notes now. I don't even know where I'm at. So. Okay, verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So they're in the room. He shows them his hands. He shows them the side. They're hiding in the room. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Peace with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you, have, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, I got one, two, three, four things I want to say out of these verses here, okay? First off, he shows them the hand on the side, right? Very important. What are they now? They're eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Very important, is it not? They are eyewitnesses to the, they all saw him. Now, by the way, sidebar, Jesus will carry the scars on, of his body of the crucifixion throughout eternity. Did you know that? He's going to carry him forever. Revelation chapter 1, when he returns second coming, they will look on him whom they have pierced. The Jews will see him, they'll recognize him because they have the pierce marks will still be on his body. Even in a resurrected, eternal body. Isn't that amazing? Now the second thing I want to say that is this. He commissions them. He says, he's going to send them. You know, as a father sent me, I sent you. Why is that Amazing. Every one of them failed him. Every one of them was a coward. They all ran. They all failed him. And he says, but I'm going to still send you guys. Doesn't it give you hope? It gives me some hope for my life, yeah. And then he, and then he says, um, uh, if you forgive, in verse 22, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. He's not saying that you and I have the power to forgive sins. We do not. No human does. He is saying, as you spread the gospel, you proclaim the forgiveness of God to people. Amen? That's what he's talking about right there. And the fourth thing I want to say is backing up to verse 22. He says, in verse 22, it says, He breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay, so the word breathe there is the same word for spirit. Pneuma. It's the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So is this the moment they're born again? Say yes. 
This is when the disciples are born again, which really solidifies in my spirit. Acts chapter 2, there's 50 days later, these same guys in the upper room, and the Spirit of God, boom, comes down in power. It's the second experience of the Spirit of God, is it not? You see the two experiences right there. The baptism in power 50, 50 days later, which gave them the boldness to go out and spread the gospel in this whole world. And everybody said amen, right? Okay, good. Let's move, let's move it on here. Verse 24. But Thomas, remember, Thomas missed the meeting, right? Oh, gosh, don't miss church. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, are they not in the same place as Mary telling them? She said, We've, I've seen him. Oh, yeah, right, right, Mary. And now they've seen him, and now they're telling Thomas, hey, we've seen him. And Thomas is going to go, yeah, okay, sure, guys. You know, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the, into the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Whoa. Now, Thomas, they call him Didymus. Didymus means, literally means twin. So maybe Thomas is a twin. And maybe there's a little play there that every time you and I doubt God that we're Thomas's twin. You ever think of it like that? It's kind of a funny little thought. I'm, I'm not saying it's true, but it's an interesting thought. Now, bullet point your notes. Solitude feeds discouragement. Solitude feeds discouragement. Thomas missed the meeting. He, now he comes here, and everybody's excited, and he's still doubting. He still lacks the peace. He still has to live in the fear of whatever they're... But he doesn't have the joy and the peace that these guys have because he missed the meeting. Don't miss the meetings. Don't miss the fellowship because you're going to miss out on a lot. That's always, you know, that's interesting because one of the things I, I hate missing church. Even on vacation, I go to church. So I'll find somewhere because I always feel like I'm going to miss out on something. And I've, I felt that way for 40 some years, all my faith. I always feel I'm going to miss out on something and I hate missing out on it. Now, it's in your notes. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 is the famous passage and do not forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some. You know that verse right there? Don't miss church. Don't miss fellowship. Now, for Thomas to believe, what does he say he needs? Yeah, I need some evidence, yeah. So, they, you know, they say doubt. Well, no, doubt, is, when somebody doubts it, they really just can't believe. But when somebody has unbelief, what they're really saying is, I just can't believe until you give me some evidence. And as I've shared with you many times, you and I need to be able to forgive the evidence if somebody asks us for the hope within us. That 1 Peter 3.15 verse on Sundays, right? 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 Yeah. Okay, you got to give them the evidence. It's just that simple. Now, <clears throat> verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Now, he's there with them this time. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to them, then said to Thomas, because remember, Thomas needs evidence, right? Reach here with your finger. Thomas, 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 come here. Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand, put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. Okay. Just real quick. 
You may at your door run into a cult member who's going to pull this verse on you if you say, if you're going to debate the deity of Christ, and they're going to tell you something like this. They're going to say, you have to understand the way Thomas said it. He said it more like, oh my Lord, oh my God. Like it's a, he's startled about something. No. He said, my Lord, my God. See, they're trying to take away the deity of Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. So never, never fall for that. I, they've, they've tried to pull that one on me before. So just for the sake of, of knowing that right there. Now, here's a cool thing. <clears throat> yeah. Gosh, it's good. It's nine o'clock right now. No, I'm just joking. Um, okay. Thomas says, unless I put my finger on his side and put it in the, in the nail mark in his hand, I'm not believing anything. Right? Okay, that's what you call empirical evidence, correct? Okay, meaning this, by your senses, you could pick up, a, a touch is one of your senses. So Aristotle was an empiricist. He believed that you gain knowledge through your senses. Plato was a rationalist. He believed that it would just, it was as a matter of remembering. That's how you gain knowledge from this world that you came from. That's there are two different ways of gaining knowledge. And so I want you to think about that. I, I don't, I'm not going to any one, but but Jesus is the truth. Now watch this. With Thomas, he says, okay, go ahead and touch me. That's empirical evidence, right? With Peter, at Caesarea Philippi, when he says, who do people say that I am? And he finally says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Huh. So in one sense, this was like a rational, the th- God put it into Peter. There was no empirical evidence. But for Thomas, it's empirical evidence, which tells me that Jesus will is holistic in how he tries to reach people. For some people, he's just going to plant it in you, like many of the Muslims in the Middle East who are getting dreams about Jesus and they're coming to faith. It's incredible. Or for some of us, or we need to see the evidence. We need to hear about this, this, and this. And that brings us to faith. So Jesus is holistic in how he reaches people. Isn't that pretty cool? I really like stuff like that. Now, bullet point in your notes. Um, do not be afraid to share your scars. Don't be afraid. Did Jesus show Thomas his scars? Yeah. Okay, look. Guys, look up at me. Don't be afraid to share your scars. Don't be afraid to talk about your baggage that's, that from your past that you're overcoming. Don't be afraid about these things because that gives you greater credibility with people. The, the, the people will open up to you more. I mean, it's incredible if you're just honest about things and let's not pretend like we got it all together or like we didn't come from some crazy past or something. Let people in there and man, they'll relate to you more than ever. Show your scars. It's okay. Jesus did. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Remember that statement, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, really quick. It says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet what? And yet believe. Now, just in case, 
And because I like, I like defending the faith things. In case, in case you ever run into someone, uh, say an atheist, and they, because an atheist might pull out this statement and say, look, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Jesus is telling you, just believe without evidence. Tell him I said hi. Is that what he's telling you? What did the atheist do wrong? It's very simple. He didn't read the next verse. Look at verse 30, I think it is. What did Jesus show? A bunch of what? Signs and miracles. If they just read the next verse. He gave them all kinds of stuff. It wasn't just blind faith. He gave them all kinds of signs and miracles. And so always remember, they're going to take something out of context and throw it at you. But they're not going to read the whole thing to see the evidence that proves them wrong. They're always going to do that. Just remember that, okay? Now, verse 31. Just real close tonight, real quick. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. This, we started off way back in January of last year. This is the theme of the entire Gospel of John. This it's the book of the seven signs, the seven I am's, the seven signs, proving that Jesus is who he says he is. He's deity. He's God. Now, think about the very end of this, believing in life in his name. Thomas, let's go back to Thomas really quick, and we'll just finish here. So, Thomas is now one of the eyewitnesses. And Thomas believes, right? And people say, oh, you know, no, I can't believe it. Okay, so I have a question. Historically, Thomas goes to India to evangelize. And, he, and he's, he's killed there for his faith. He's martyred. And so, if he didn't really put his finger on scar on the side, if he was just all make-believe and stuff, then why would he allow himself to be killed if it wasn't real? If it wasn't real? Because we all in this room know that if it came down to it, if we're just making it up and they're going to kill me, go, I'm just making it up. And I always remember this statement when people say, well, a lot of religious people die for their faith. Oh, they die for what they believe. These guys died for what they saw. That's a big difference right there. They saw it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and your word. Thank you for challenging us in different ways here, God. And now bless everyone on the way home, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.